guys ready today? Are you sure? There's like three people. Hot diggity dog. I can't wait. <laughs> Y'all interact with me today. I need a little bit of help. That amen corner. Let's hear it, okay? Um, so listen, today we're going to be continuing the book of Joshua. What's awesome is the fact that we have been working through this book. Uh, this is our 13th message in Joshua. Last week, we were in our, actually two weeks ago, we were in our message, which was called So Be It. That was in verse number two, or chapter number two, where we finished up uh, that verse in verses 21 through 24. And in that, we saw Rahab's faithful commitment. What she was doing was committing to the messengers. And then we also, at the same time, saw God's preparation of the messengers. As God was preparing them to take on and as he was going to fulfill his promise to provide for them the promised land. But at the same time, God was fulfilling his promise to Rahab as the fact that she was going to be protected because judgment was going to come upon Jericho. And when it came, she would be redeemed, her and her family, from what was to come. And we saw in that message, so be it, her, first of all, her commitment. Now, her commitment came in two parts. It was a verbal commitment, which was the part where she said, look, you know what, whatever you guys tell me to do, I'm going to do it. She said it this way in Joshua 2.21, according unto your words... So be it. And then there was the physical commitment where she said, look, I'm going to take action. I'm not just going to say these things. I'm actually going to follow through. And what we saw was the fact that she did exactly what she said she was going to do. And when she sent those messengers away, she maintained what she promised, what she was told to do, which was to take that, that scarlet thread and to tie it in the window. And what she was doing was marking her home as a place of faith. This is a place that's going to stand out from all the other homes in Jericho. This one will stand out. And what we saw for us is the fact that that's something that we should be doing. Our house, our home should stand out in our community. As God looks at our home in our neighborhood, it should stand out as a place of faith. Then we thought about this, the fact that once she sent those messengers away, well, those messengers went off for three days. And in that three days, they were kind of like, they were being hunted. There were pursuers, the Bible says, and those pursuers hunted them for three days. And we looked at, for, for us, the spiritual example of the fact that you and I, guess what? We're being hunted. Every single day in your Christian walk, we have adversaries, we have pursuers that are looking for us. The, the devil and his, and his minions are constantly looking in our Christian lives for weakness. They're looking for a way that they can pounce or prey upon us. So we saw that in the fact that they're looking for weakness. They're looking to prey upon our, our fears. They're looking to prey upon our doubts and even our lusts, right? In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says this, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Right? There's that warning because guess what? He's saying, hey, be cautious. Be cautious. Don't let down your guard because right when you think everything's good, I can promise you the devil's looking to pounce upon you in that moment. Who's ever been down and in that moment of darkness had it gotten a lot darker all of a sudden and been spiraled into a hole, man, because the devil jumps on you? Guess what? He is merciless. He loves our pain. And we saw here the fact that God uh, it actually works through trials. One of the things that we reminded is the fact that you know God works through times when we find ourselves down, when we find ourselves broken, we find ourselves overwhelmed. And what we found is the fact that we gave the comparison. If we go to the gym, the greater the resistance, the greater the results, right? If we go to the gym and we put no weight on the bar, we're not going to get any bigger. We're not going to get any stronger. But the more resistance we have, the stronger our body will respond. So the messengers returned back to God's people. And when they returned, what they did was they came back and they brought back a message. They brought up like a message of encouragement and the fact that they said, hey, guess what? This is all that we saw and heard. This is all that God has promised us. These messengers came back to their people and told them, hey, this is good news. So they had, she had, they had good news for Rahab, but at the same time, they also had good news for their own people. And a model for us, that you and I as believers are supposed to be sharing the good news with the world represented in Rahab, 
And we're also supposed to be sharing the good news amongst our brothers and sisters. That guess what? God is faithful. When we share a testimony, Alana shared a testimony yesterday of how God has worked in her life at the ladies' banquet yesterday. And what was breakfast, brunch, whatever they called it. But she shared a testimony of how God had worked in her life. And what it was, was it was good news to believers to say, hey, guess what? God is faithful. Guess what? God is a restorer. God can take you from the darkest, most awful place in your life and restore you and use something that seems so awful to actually strengthen you for the future. So we saw that amazing imagery. And so we see here, they've come back. The messengers have done their job. They've returned. They've told all that they saw and all that they heard. And now here we are. They've told the good news and God's prepared a way for them to enter into Jericho. And now what happens is Joshua is going to mobilize the people. For the first time, he's going to kind of take the lead. Here comes the big moment. And they're heading towards Jericho. That's their end goal. And our message today, which is called Go After It. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. God, for giving us this time. Lord, I do pray that you'll uh, take hold of this message. Uh, Lord, you know that I have prayed, I have studied, I have, uh, Lord, reviewed. And uh, God, I, you know my desire is to disappear. If uh, today I could just disappear and, Lord, this would just come directly from you, that would be wonderful. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for the fact that as I stand before these folks and the folks online, Lord, that I have no confidence in myself, but, Lord, I have great confidence in you. So, Lord, I pray that you will shine. Lord, uh, that your word might speak to our hearts. Help me to be changed. And Lord, help us all, Lord, to be more like Christ when we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Joshua 3, verses 1 through 3. And Joshua rose up early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. And they, and they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. So the first thing we see with these people, with Joshua and with them, is their anticipation. Okay, look at what it says. Joshua rose up early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan. So here we are. This is the morning after the messengers have arrived, right? They came. They told the good news. They've all been encouraged. Joshua's fired up. He's like, yes, exactly what God said. So here he is, uh, motivated. This is what they tell him, Joshua 2.24. And they said unto Joshua, truly, truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land. For even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. Oh man, guess what? God's kept his promise. So here they've slept on that message. Joshua's already heard from God himself. He's heard that, guess what? They're gonna, God's going to give them the land. God's going to give them the land. Now these men come and go, guess what? It's true. God's going to give us the land. It's all prepped and ready. So we can imagine that not only does he have confidence in what it is there to do, but he has confidence in the outcome. In this moment, he already has confidence. Remember, he would have heard from Moses. Moses would have told him and recounted to him stories of what God had told him. In Deuteronomy 10, verses 11 through 22, this is Moses recounting what God told him. He says, And the Lord said unto me, Arise, take the journey before the people that, that, that they may go in and possess the land which I swear unto their fathers to give unto them. And now Israel, listen to this, he's going to qualify, he says, And now Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? What does God expect of you? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul. Does that sound familiar? That's what God's requirement is of us. Understand, it's obedience, it's surrender, it's a willingness to have a heartfelt love of God and follow what it is He calls us to do. We say it in the New Testament, we talk about it as dying to self. Dying to self. I'm giving my heart to the Lord. 
And what we see here is their promise here, or this, their, 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 remember their, their entry into the promised land, their, their journey into the promised land is a mirror for us. It is a picture of us moving into the promised land for us, which is the abundant Christian life. That's God's desire for us. Verse 13, he says this, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. So he says, you are to love me. You're supposed to be obedient to me. You're supposed to have a heart for me. And I want you to keep my commandments. Does that sound familiar? Jesus said the exact same thing in John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Then you go to verse 21. He says this, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. That loveth me, and it says, he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. He's saying, so when you're obedient, what you're doing is you're displaying the fact that you love me, right? So we find here that obedience in this way, as God speaks to the Jews and he's telling them, hey, you know, if you want to show me that you love me, obedience. That's the way you're going to do it. So the exact same way that God tells them is the same way it is for us. The same thing. And this dispensation is the same thing for them, this universal principle for humanity. Verse 14, Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God. The earth also with all that therein is. Only the Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them. And he chose their seed after them, even you above all people, as it is this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. He's saying, look, give me your heart. Give me your heart. For the Lord your God is God of gods, the Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not persons. What's he saying there? God's not a respecter of persons. Regardeth not persons. I don't care what race you are, what sex you are, what age you are. Irrelevant to me. I love you all the same. And he says, nor taketh reward. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow and loveth the stranger in giving him food and raiment. Love ye therefore the stranger, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God. Him shalt thou serve. Don't serve yourself. Don't serve other gods. And to him shalt thou cleave and swear by his name. He is thy praise and he is thy God that hath done for thee this great and terrible things which thine eyes have seen. My, thy fathers went down into Egypt with three score and ten persons and now the Lord thy God hath made thee as the stars of heaven for multitude. How amazing. We see what happens. And so what happens now Joshua's looking out on that multitude, the very ones that God promised were going to be there, God's looking upon that multitude. And now Joshua's looking up on the multitude with faith, man. Faith in God. He's seeing the promise that the Lord made when he was a young man. And he's been holding on to this promise the whole time. And now he's going to see it fulfilled. So now with that heart combined with what he heard the night before, we can all imagine how Joshua's... No, it's no wonder he woke up early, right? He was like, man, let's get this going, dude. I'm ready to rock. So what we find is the fact that the second thing we notice with them is actually their unity. Their unity. It says here, and all the children of Israel. So everybody was in unified body. And we see here, here we're talking about the entire people. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. They got up early. They broke camp. Have you ever organized just your family to try to get out of the house? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's like five of you and you're like, we've been trying to get out of the house for 30 minutes. What is going on? We're talking about hundreds of thousands of campsites all over the place. They all get up early. They all get together. They travel five miles. And by the end of the day, they're all sitting at the Jordan River. Listen to that. Because understand, they're excited just like Joshua is. They're ready to get after it. And you see, Joshua's confidence in God and God's word 
is what mobilizes him. It's what gives him the ability to, to do this. And the people, at the same time, it's their confidence in their leader and in the Word and in God themselves that makes them, allows them to do this monumental task. So they're mobilizing an army to march headlong into enemy territory. And there's no mention of insubordination or complaining at all. Unified people accomplishing God's will. What an example for you and I. A unified people accomplishing God's will. Guys, there are pastors all over this country struggling just to get people to be faithful to church. Just come to church. Just do that. If you're online, hey, praise the Lord. I'm not, I'm not knocking you guys. You're faithfully on church. You're at church. Thank God. But listen, and at the same time, let alone let people do something for the Lord, actually contribute or give their heart or give their life to Him. What happens is so many times people are so focused on self that that's all they really are concerned with. We get consumed with self and the way the world's going to affect us and we forget about who it is we really truly serve. 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 5 says this, This know also that in the last days, that's us, perilous times shall come. Here's the description of, of people during this perilous time. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Boy, ain't that the truth. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Hello, watch the internet. Go on YouTube for a little while. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Is that not our culture today? That's exactly where we are. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I'm spiritual. Oh, I'm spiritual. I'm spiritual. What a load of garbage. No. You need to know the Lord. There is one, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who you serve. He says, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. What he's saying is, you know what? Don't follow those knuckleheads. That spiritual person that's super nice, who's really kind, your Jehovah's Witness neighbor who, you know what? You would trust them with your house. They're not going to do anything wrong. They're moral. Oh, yeah, your Mormon friend, he's moral. Great. But don't follow that belief. Don't follow what it is they're doing because understand, they're going straight to hell. We don't hate them. We love the person. But we hate the ideology of somebody who does not know the truth. The devil is so crafty and he'll give people something that feeds their flesh. Because what happens in those instances, every one of those is driven by what you do. The Lord tells us, you know what, your faith, your, your salvation is through faith and faith alone. Your, work, your works will do nothing for you. You can be the most moral person in the world and bust hell wide open. So we see a generation of people unified behind their Joshua to accomplish God's will. Our Joshua is Jesus, right? But I'm afraid right now in our world today, not only are people not unified, they're divided for sure. But not only are they divided, but they're so focused on themselves that they're not following Jesus, right? I'm talking about Christians. We're supposed to be, supposed to have our eyes on the Lord. We're supposed to be serving Him and trying to fulfill what God wants us to do. But what happens, we're so caught up in ourselves, we come up with excuses of why we can't do things. You know, we think about, or I, I, we hesitate. You know, I feel God calling me to do something, but I'm probably not me. I don't know. The, I, uh, I'm not sure. And what we do is we find ways to talk ourselves out of it. Right. I, you know, it's just because, I mean, it's not that I don't want to do it. I mean, I just really don't believe in myself. It's really it's my own issues. It's my, I just need a little more confidence. Think about this, okay? Think about this. What is that person really saying? What they're really saying is, you know what? I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be uncomfortable. 
what if it's harder than I thought it was going to be? What if I fail? How am I going to feel? How's it going to make me feel whenever maybe things get tough? Notice the key words, I, me. How does it affect me? It's self-centered. It's focused upon self. And what we're doing is we're saying, I don't trust God. That's what we're saying. When we have that kind of mindset, what we're saying is, you know what? God, I don't trust you. Because think about this. Does God set us up for failure? No. no. Never. In fact, God empowers us. He never sets us up for failure. In fact, He sets us up to succeed. And the crazy thing is, not only does He give us all that we need to succeed, but He goes with us. Hello? When they go to Jericho, God's already prepared the way. God's going to fight the battle. God's going to handle the whole thing. All they have to do is be faithful to show up. That's all He asks of them. And that's what He asks of us, for us to be faithful to do what He calls us to do. That pattern is throughout Scripture time and time and time again. So disobedience to God's command, to His will, doesn't just show a lack of trust. But according to Deuteronomy 10 and John 14, what does it say? We don't love Him. That's what it says. If you love me, keep my commandments. So when I don't keep my commandments, I'm saying, I don't love you. And we think about it, they go, dang, that sounds tough. But see, God's a black and white God. It's love and hate, right? You love the Lord, He says, you're either my friend or you're my enemy, right? That's the way the Lord sees us. So as God's calling us, understand our job is nothing more than to be obedient, to just do, just do what He calls us to do. God simply asks us to be faithful. That's all the requirement is. And what's so awesome is the fact that these Israelites are not dealing with any of that junk at all. They're not quarreling. They're not arguing. They're, not con they're literally together unified. Joshua 3.1, it said, And Joshua rose up early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, and he and all the children of Israel, all the children of Israel, and lodge there before they passed over. Now what's interesting is they're in Shittim. And what's interesting about Shittim at this point in time, Shittim's a safe haven, man. It's a good, it's a good place for them to be. It's kind of a place where you can feel comfortable. But you've got to realize about a year earlier, Shittim was not the place that they wanted to be. Because what happened in Shittim a year earlier was the Israelite men got drawn into sin. They got drawn in. The Moabite women came and boy, they looked good. Woohoo! Hello, honey. And guess what, man? Next thing you know, the boys were over there. Hey, girl, what's up? <laughs> and then what happens? Twenty-four thousand, because of falling into sin and falling into idolatry, twenty-four thousand men die in one day. God brings a plague. It's in Numbers twenty-five. If you want to read it, but we look at that. But whoa, man! So while Joshua's going, hey, this is a safe place to be. At the same time, he's probably thinking in the back of his head. A year ago, this place was bad news. I'm all about let's get out of Shittim, let's get out of Shittim and let's move on to the border of the river. So now here they've arrived. They're at the shore of the Jordan. And what's interesting is there's a phrase here that's used, and it's this. It says, passed over. Joshua 3 1 says, and lodged there before they passed over. Now, in our message two weeks ago, which was so be it. We saw that same wording used again in an earlier verse. What it was doing is it's pointing to the deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt by way of a Passover lamb, the blood of a lamb. And you and I, guess what? We have a lamb. John talked about it in John 1. He says, Jesus Christ, the Son, he says, the Lamb of God that cometh to take away the sins of the world. So here we see this passed over, these words. 
What are they doing? They're pointing to God's deliverance of humanity. They're pointing to our deliverance. They're pointing to the Israelite or deliverance of God. And so we look at this deliverance, 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 and we see it in this word passed over, passed over, and we see it and you go, man, look at that. God sent me. It's leaving a little breadcrumb there going, guess what I'm talking about? Yeah. Take a look at what this says. God is teaching multiple stories and multiple levels in every passage of Scripture. But what I want you to realize, the fact is, if you have an, uh, an NIV Bible, a New International Version, this is what it says in that very thing, same phrase. Where they camped before crossing over. If you have a New King James Bible, it says this. And lodged there before they crossed over. New Living Translation says this. Where they camped before crossing. And New American Standard says this. And they spent the night there before they crossed. The International Standard Version says where they encamped before crossing it. The Good News Translation says where they camped while waiting to cross it. The Contemporary English Version says they went to the Jordan River and camped there that night. And the prophetic connection to the Passover is lost. The specific words that God chooses and puts in, in the Word of God are key. That's why I talk about that stuff so much. So much, so much is because I want us to realize the fact that God specifically chooses His words. But at this point in time, here we have the people of Israel sitting on the eastern shore of the Jordan River. So we've seen their anticipation of the people in Joshua. We've seen the unity of the people. And now we're going to see their patience. Their patience. Joshua 3.2 says this, And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the hosts. Okay? Again, we see the time period three days. And we know that three days, three days has a significance. It is a time of preparation. It is a time of transition. So what we see here, in this case, the Israelites, the children are being prepared. Right? They're going to fulfill what their parents were supposed to do. Forty years earlier, their parents were to do the very same thing. So the camp would have been buzzing with excitement. They've all set up their camps. They're ready. There's that anticipation, right? Instead of complaining, these teachable people, they wait. Notice it says that the, 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 the leadership doesn't come through and talk to them until the third day. They sit for three days. They sit and wait. Now, the thing this makes you think of is this. How many of us have ever been where we know God's called us to do something? You know you're where you're supposed to be. Yeah. You're right in the middle of God's will. You got to the border, man. You're at the Jordan River. And you're like, yeah, baby. And all of a sudden, it's like, time to chill out. You're like, what? No, no, no. <laughs> 40 years we've been talking about this. We waited over in Shittim. Now you got us to the border of Jordan, and we're ready to go, man. Like, can we just cross? No. Nope. Hang out. You're good. Man, how many of us have ever been there and felt frustrated by that? Yeah, we're like, come on, God. Do you not realize? Why are the, what's the delay for? Let me just tell you this. When it was came to planning this church... God had already laid on our hearts that this is what we were supposed to do. We knew for a fact. I knew the name of the church. I knew that the logo looked like. I knew it was going to be in this building because I was getting gas at that service station. If you haven't heard the story, I've told everybody, I think. But it, God gave me this overwhelming compulsion to turn around and look at this old building that was sitting here defunct and dead, and God showed it to me as a church. So we knew. That's it. It's supposed to be a church. All right, it's going to be in the bank. Okay, honey, let's do it. We start searching and trying to find the people on the bank. Turns out the building's unavailable, not for rent, not for sale, had nothing, had nothing connected to it. I called the city and I said, you know who owns the building? They're like, we don't know. The taxes are getting paid, that's all we can tell you. I'm like, okay, great. Can you, who do I reach out to? They're like, we don't know what to tell you. I knew a realtor friend of mine, I reached out to her, I said, can you track the folks down? She does a whole bunch of research, her research assistant named Hope, by the way, tracks them down, finds out the people who live in South Carolina, they own the building, had inherited the building, didn't have any plans for it. 
We reached out to them through the realtor. She was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is these people. I want you to meet them. They're like, okay, great. We want to meet them. We're like, okay, wonderful. And then suddenly the realtor's like, they're not responding to my calls. I'm like, that's weird. They're not responding to my text. They're not responding to my email. And for 40 days, we heard no response. So I kept calling the realtor. I'm like, what, what, what are, we, uh, are we ready to, I mean, I thought we were going to see the building and get in. So I got like, she's like, I can't get in touch with them. I don't know what's going on. And for 40 days, now during that 40 days, what are we thinking? God, you showed us the building. <laughs> you called us to plant the church. We already got the website set up. We're already promoting things on Facebook. I'm already writing messages. We're getting prepped and ready. We're printing tracks. If you notice, if you ever see the old tracks, they don't have an address on them. Because <laughs> I was like, man, I just, we put them with the website. Because we did. I mean, we printed 15,000 tracks and had no address because we weren't set yet. But we were committed that we were going to do what God called us to do. We were where we knew we were exactly where we were supposed to be. But God said, wait. Yeah. And I don't know why. But all he asked us to be, is to be faithful. Look, I've called you to do what I've called you to do. You just do what I'm asking you. You let me worry about all the details. And it turns out that the, the husband, his dad had died, and they were dealing with all this stuff, and they were traveling and stuff like that. But you know what? Literally, within a week's time, we reached out to them. They reached, responded back to us. I mean, we literally prayed about it, reached out. They responded, met with them, got the keys a couple days later. 50 days later, it looked like this. I mean, God just did it, man. And it just the door just opened. But when there's delay, man, it's, it's easy for us to get frustrated. It's easy to go, well, God, what do you want? I mean, man, I mean, hello. Am I not doing what you asked me to do? But sometimes God says, hey, you know what? Wait. Wait. And then what this tells us is God's timing's always best. Yes. We think we know, but we don't know. <laughs> we don't. I think I'm supposed to make it to my appointment on time. And for some reason, this knucklehead in front of me is driving 15 miles under the speed limit. What is wrong with this person? Right? And I'm like, dude, would you just pull over or something? Let me pass you. Goodness gracious. But is it possible there's an accident ahead that God's keeping me out of? Yes. But do we get frustrated? Yep. And one of the things that we find is the fact that God always has a plan. Always has a plan. It makes me think of John uh, and then Lazarus in John 11 where Jesus shows up late, right? What happens is Jesus hears that John is, or hears that Lazarus is sick. And the Bible says that he waits two days. He hears he's sick instead of going, oh my goodness, let's hustle and get there before he dies, or let's get there right away. No, he doesn't. John eleven six 6 says this. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days, notice the word, still in the same place where he was. And during that two days, guess what? Lazarus dies. Lazarus drops dead in that time frame. John eleven fourteen 14 and 15 says this, Then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And listen to the next part. And I am glad for your sake that I was not there. Amen. Hear that? I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. God uses tragedy and loss to teach us things. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. So we see there's a purpose to Lazarus's death, revealing to us that God does use his tragedy in our lives. And we go, wow, how in the world can God get glory through tragedy? And we've seen how God can get glory in tragedy, many of us in our own lives. And the thing that's interesting is the fact that whenever Jesus hears about Lazarus's death, listen to what he says here in John eleven four. 4. And when Jesus heard that he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So in verse 4, he says it's not unto death. In verse 14, he says, guess what? He's dead. Okay? 
So if you're one of the disciples, aren't you like going, uh, not unto death, he's dead. Okay, I wasn't listening, I guess, very well, Lord. I'm not sure what you're talking about because you told me he wasn't unto death, but now he's dead. Did you just, did you just get it wrong? I mean, is that what happened? Uh, you know, if we'd arrived sooner, could you have saved him? I don't know what the circumstance is. What is going on? Notice that immediately after Jesus said that he's dead, John eleven fifteen. 15, I already read it to you. He says, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. And by the time they arrived, Lazarus will have been dead for four days. Now, why is four days relevant? For some of you, I probably told most of you this, know this, but if you don't, and if you're watching online, the reason why four days is relevant is because in the Jewish belief, in that culture, if you died within three days, they believed that the soul would spend its time, or in that three days, they would have a wake because they thought within that three-day window, there was a chance that the soul would enter the body again and that person would come back to life. But when you reach day four, you're dead. So Jesus waits to day four before he arrives. And when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now, so when Jesus arrives here at the gravesite, there's all these mourners that are there and they're wailing and crying. John 11, 37 through 44, it says, And some of them said, could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, listen to this, again groaning in himself. Ugh. Right? Ay, ay, ay. How long do I have to stay with these knuckleheads? Cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. I was, I, the word stinketh, I just think that's kind of a fun word. He stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if I, if thou wouldest believe, thou wouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee thou, that thou hast heard me. Now he says this, and then I love this next thing he says, And I knew that thou hearest me, always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, <laughs> that they believe and that thou hast sent me. He's going, this is for them folks here. They don't, they're not, you know, they're pretty clueless. Verse 34 and 43 says this, And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead come forth, came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him, let him, grow, let him go. What a graphic picture of someone who was bound in death, brought to life and set free. Loose him, let him go. Huh? How awesome is that? Ephesians 2, 5 and 6 says this, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All that to say, God's timing can be trusted. God's timing is always best. So when we find ourselves at a place where we got to wait, we need to trust God. That God is allowing this delay for us. Now, we don't have to understand it. All we have to do during this time is understand the fact that just like the disciples one day would understand, there will come a day. It may not even be on this earth, but there will come a day when we will understand why that delay was there. But right now, Right? When we find ourselves at the shore of our Jordan, sometimes we will have to wait and understand that delay is there for God's purposes that we don't understand 
And instead of getting frustrated, instead of getting mad, instead of getting wanting to complain or or want to want to want to to push our agenda, sometimes we just have to stop and say, you know what? God schedules best because you know what? He's got a purpose and a plan for everything. And during that time of waiting, you know what He's doing? Preparing us. He's preparing us. He's allowing us to grow. We don't have to understand it. All we have to do is recognize the fact that God is working, that God is faithful. Understand, Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you were here at the ladies' bank uh, brunch yesterday, you got a great definition. My, boy, my wife broke that down beautifully, that Hebrews 11.1. 1. Then 11.6 says this, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Remember what he said in Deuteronomy 10, diligently seek him. Like the Israelites here, sometimes we have to just leave the scheduling up to God. As just, as not only just the scheduling, but also the results as well. Amen. The results are up to God. Remember in 1 Corinthians 3.7 it says this, So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Yes. So we've seen Joshua here. They've, they have the people. They've come together. We've seen their anticipation. We've seen their unity. We've seen their patience. And now we're going to see their determination. Joshua 3.3. 3. And they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. So their instructions are, when you see the ark, and you see these, which the ark understand is a picture of God and a picture of His Word, and you see it being handled by the men of God, listen to this, they're to leave their place and they're to go after it. Now, what's interesting is during this time period, what we see is the fact during this three days at the Jordan River, the people have made themselves comfortable. They have made themselves a place where, hey, you know what? This is a place, now understand, this is not a place that they've been promised, but they found a way to be comfortable anyway, okay? This is very interesting in the fact that they're still actually in the wilderness. Not only had they made themselves comfortable, they, they created a bit of a little bit of a home for themselves, because notice what it's called. Then ye shall remove from your place. You got your own little place, your own little joint. Who's ever been camping before? Yeah, man. You get all set up. I'm going to hang that over here. Put that over here. Cooler slide it right over here. That's going to be my little table in there. Got this over here. Put a little rug on the outside. Wipe my feet. Man, yeah. You may only be camping there two days, but you got your little house, man. You're like, I'm comfortable. I like this little joint. Get it, turn the light on. Look, man, this is cool. Can you still hear the fire, man? Awesome. Hear the river? Wow. Right? So we experience it. That's what's happened to them. They've gotten comfortable here. Does that sound like anybody we know? They're in a place they're not supposed to be, and they made themselves comfortable there, and they made themselves a bit of a home. Yeah. Hello. Hello, that's us. John 15, 19. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. This world is not our home. If we try to find our comfort here, we're off course. This is not where we're to set our affections. The Bible says you set your affection on things above not on the things of the earth. And we spend so much time trying to be comfortable here. Joshua 3.3, And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. So we see, when we see God clearly lifted up through the preaching of His Word, through the man of God, who is handling the Word of God, a picture of the ark right here. We're to let go of the world and follow 
God. This is the issue. The whole aspect of letting go. It's the aspect of this. It's like, you know, when, wherever God leads, we're to follow. Right? It makes you think of that song. Where he leads me, I will follow. Oh, just me, huh? Great, thanks. <laughs> Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him, with him, always. Thank you. <laughs> it's really bad. It was by, by myself. Everybody's like, please stop. My ears are bleeding. <laughs> What we see here is the fact that, look, if God calls us, right, if he leads us, our job is to follow. That's what he's simply saying. If it's through his word and he calls us, then we're to follow him. If it's through his spirit working in our life, we follow him. If it's through the leadership that God puts in our life, we follow them as long as they're following God. I'll follow my pastor as from here on into eternity as long as he's following the Lord. And that's the, that's the caveat. Understand, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says this, Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. What he's saying is, hey, Corinthians, as long as I'm going after the Lord, follow me. But if I'm not going after the Lord, then don't follow me. Okay? The key is, that's why we need to understand who, what are, what are the people that we follow, the people we consider leadership in our life. We want to make sure we understand what it is they believe. You watch people on TV who are going to give you all kinds of stuff. But many times we don't know what they believe. We just listen and accept that it's truth. The problem is not only do we need to know what they believe, we also need to know that they actually apply and live what it is that they teach. Because there's a lot of hypocrisy in the world, right? We want to make sure that we understand the Word of God. Why do we constantly, why do I use so much Scripture in the message? Because I want you to have a good foundational understanding of the Word of God. Why do we push discipleship like crazy? Because we want you to know the Word of God so that you know what it is that you believe. You don't just believe it because we tell you. You know it because it's verified in the Word of God. That's the key. Because understand, there are lots and lots of false teachers out there. There are lots of people out there that are going to teach the wrong thing. And if you're not cautious and you're not careful... You can easily fall into heretical beliefs. The people that are caught up right now in false teaching, that are caught up in false doctrine in churches that are, that are off course, the reason that they are there is because they were ignorant in the Word of God and when it was presented to them in a false truth, they didn't recognize it as false and they accepted it as true. The devil is the king of counterfeit. He always wants to give a, an alternative to God's Word. And you know what? It can be really close. It can be 95% right. That's kind of like this. You know what? Most of dinner's fine. There's only 5% poison. Let's eat. You'd be like, no way! But yet we'll listen to teachers who mostly write, but they got some heresies slipped in there as well. No. We're to feed upon the truth of the Word of God. God. That's where we want to drive into this word. 1 John 4 verses 1 through 3 says this, Beloved, believe not every spirit. Listen to this. But try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. This is the first century, guys. There's a lot more of them out there now. Hereby, know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, 
Remember, there's Christ and there's Antichrist. He's an alternative. He's another gospel, Paul warns. Another gospel, another Jesus. Whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already, listen to what Paul says, right now already, John says, it is it in the world. He says, you hear it's coming? Oh, it's here. It's here, and it's well established. So these Levites, they're following their Joshua. They're, they're Jesus. And the people are to follow them, to leave their comforts and go wherever it is that they are led. Amen. You know what this made me think of? It made me think of Brother Trent and Miss Cheyenne last week who were here. Here's a young couple, 30 years old, four little kids, surrendered to say, you know what? We're going to leave our place. Our place. Our comfort. He had a great job. He's an, aer an aeronautical technician, works on planes. Nice house. They're selling everything. Packing everything up and moving to a communist country to plant churches underground. Listen, you can't give out a track in China. You can't talk openly about the Lord in China. Everything is underground. The government is atheistic and aggressive against Christianity. And yet they're saying, you know what? We're going to leave our place. And we're going to go after it, right? They sh they, and it says, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. And you listen to that wording. Go after it, right? Go after it. Whatever God's called, whatever work he's called you to do, go after it. Not make up excuses, right? This is why I can't. And I would, but, and I want to, but, 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 no. He says, go after it. If it's a call through His Word to, to you, then, then go after it. If it's through His Spirit, through His preaching, through the preaching of His Word, if He convicts us of sin and directs us to righteousness, we need to go after it. If God is compelling us to drawing us into ministry, saying, hey, I want you to serve, give your heart to children, give your heart in some way that you can be a part of this ministry, then go after it. If God's compelling you to have a, a deeper understanding of His Word, He's drawing you into the Word of God instead of finding excuses or watching TV, how about you go after it? And as somebody who spent too much time... not responding to God's call the way I should have, can I just compel you to surrender? Just go, go after it. Step outside of your comfort zone. Step out of your place and go after it. Because let me tell you, if God's calling you to do something, He will enable you to achieve it. Amen. He's not setting you up to fail. He's setting you up to succeed. Remember, your life is for His glory. And if you do have a failure, guess what? One day you'll understand that it was a part of the plan to God to receive glory. So suck it up and deal with it. We've got to understand that this life is not about us. Philippians 2.13 says this, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Amen. His good pleasure. That's why you're here. Amen. So if He's directing you to live a life of holiness, to serve in ministry, to develop a mastery of His Word, to have a richer prayer life, or to surrender our fears and walk by faith, then go after it. See, it's, we, it's, it's, it's high time that we realize the fact that it's one thing to know what God wants us to do. And it's another thing to surrender to doing it.
Because we all know what we should be doing. Many times we're waiting and I don't know what we're waiting for. But he's saying, you know what? I'm calling you. I need you to respond. Give me your heart. Love me. Keep my commandments. Display obedience to me. Let me see your love displayed to this world. And as you do so, I'll be blessed by your life. You will glorify my name. So I'm calling you. Just go after it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today, for the opportunity you've given us, Lord, to, uh, to hear from you. Lord, thank you how you can take three little verses and teach us so much. I would ask, Lord, that you please speak to our hearts, Lord Jesus, that we not just help these, have these messages, uh, Lord, land upon our ears, maybe sink into our minds, but never get to our hearts. So many times we hear truth and it affects us, but it doesn't change us. So Lord, I do pray that you'll speak to us, Lord, even not, not only while we're here, but Lord, when we leave this place, let the message of this, of what you've given us today, help it resonate in our hearts. Those words go after it. Help them echo in our ears that we might realize as you call us, that you're asking us just simply to go after you, to follow you. Lord, thank you for the work you've done in our lives. And I do pray that you'll continue, Lord, to guide us in the steps in this Christian life as we desire to walk according to your will. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure where I stand with the Lord. If you're online today and you say, you know, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. That's where I was 19 years ago, guys. I did not know Christ. I believed in God. I've been, uh, I'd heard some people talk about Christ, but I didn't know anything really about God. I'd never been to church. If that's your story, then hey, guess what? There is hope because the Lord loves you right where you are. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I'm religious. I've got a religious background. I'm a member of a church. I teach Sunday school. All those things, wonderful. But if you've never surrendered your heart to Christ, then you are lost. It's not the works that we do. It's through His righteousness that we're saved. So as Jesus is calling your heart today, all He's asking for you to do is respond. As He speaks to you, all you have to do is to choose to receive the gift that He's offering. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. As He's calling you today, all you must do is respond. He's offering you that gift from the cross. And you have to just simply choose to receive it. The price has been paid. All you have to do is choose to take it for yourself. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, it's not a ceremony. It's not a religious event. It's not a magic prayer. It's a matter of the heart. This is a surrender of heart. As He calls your heart, all you have to do is surrender your heart to Him. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, you're online. You want to receive Christ. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. I'm going to lead you in prayer. But it will not be the words of the prayer. It will be your heart that God's listening to. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive Christ. Repeat after me, Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm so sorry for the sins I've committed. Lord, I know that you love me. I believe that you died for me. That you were buried. And on the third day you were raised from the dead. God, I'm asking you right now in the best way I know how to come into my heart 
to forgive me of sin and to save my soul. Lord, I pray that you help me to walk a life that will bring glory to your name. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me a home in heaven. I'll see you there one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.